into District 1 Sports. Mike and Micah back with you for a quick emergency pod. We're uh, going ahead and putting this in front of our regular pod that we recorded. But shortly after we finished taping, uh, we got the news that Curtis Samuel has signed with the Washington football team. Um, a news news that we were expecting for a couple of months now because of ten, the connection with Ron Rivera and uh, Martin Mayhew and just the Carolina DC connection. So, Mike, I'm going to you off the top. Initial reactions. What do you think? How do you like this deal, bro? An absolute A plus signing. Um, and you're gonna hear it later in the pod, man. We I said that this was my ideal scenario, and I've been saying this has been my ideal scenario. Curtis Samuel, as you mentioned, is a guy who knows Ron Rivera, knows Martin Mayhew, knows Scott Turner's offense. He has played the versatile slot, deep threat role in this offense dating back to 2018 and 2019. And he was just really the perfect fit. I mean, even going deeper, his ties to Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State um, and the connection they have. Um, you know, everything that was a fit and everything that we've been preaching up until this point. It just made perfect sense. He's only 24 years old. He's right into, you know, he's learning exactly, um, you know, his role, not just on the field, but like, you know, his status in the league. I just really think it's a perfect deal. The money is good on it. Um, The fit is, once again, perfect. He's going to add an element to this team that we haven't seen really since Deshaun Jackson. He's way more healthy than Deshaun Jackson. Um, You know, an actual true deep threat. And, yes, Terry McLaurin is that. But Terry McLaurin also is a true rock runner at heart. But now you're adding a true deep threat guy, a guy who can play outside and in. If you need him to return punts or kicks in a pinch, he can do it. Um, there's a lot that Curtis Samuel does right on the field, but his best asset is his availability, man. He's a healthy guy. He's put on weight since his, um, you know, since his rookie year. He's become a real durable, speedy guy. I just think it's been perfect fit. I mean, everything that we talked about up until um, now, it just comes to fruition. And once again, I don't mention it, um, and I'll keep mentioning it, the plan should have always been, you know, get a veteran slot like a guy like Curtis Samuel or a guy who knows, um, you know, a little bit more of pro football, and especially a guy who might, you know, fit into the system. Get a veteran slot and then get a younger outside guy. So, hey, whether it's free agency or whether we're going to go to the draft for the outside guy, that's, you know, going to, you know, we're going to see about that. But handling the slot position and just getting another weapon in the building was very, very important. And, the Washington football team did that. So let's go, man. Can't wait to see Curtis Samuel and Burgundy at gold. Yeah, it's it's a great deal. Um, uh, details of the contract, three years, $34 million. So if you look at that, you're looking at about, what, $10, 11000000 million a mm-hmm. year. Probably the cap number for this year is going to end up being more like six and seven just because of the way that they're able to um, finagle with the cap situation, giving you enough space to still go out and make big-time moves if you want to, or you can keep the space for to roll over for next year. Um, with the moves that they've been able to make so far, Brandon signing for one year doesn't seem a franchise being franchised for one year for 18 million doesn't seem as bad. And even if you were able to sign him long-term, you're giving yourself an extra 8 million. So I don't think they're done in free agency at all. Like it's still possible that they can sign another weapon on offense. They still need a backup tight end. They still, they could use another receiver. Two, two receivers is okay. You can always go three. So there's so much that they can do. I love this deal. Three years, thirty-four million. Like people were talking about his his AAV being fourteen, sixteen million a year, and for, they said the wide receiver market wasn't going to be as good as we thought it was, and this is a clear example of that. And I'm I'm personally very excited about this. Um, I saw a stat that uh, he had the highest cat, catch radius for deep balls last mm-hmm. year at seventy-seven percent. 
we talked about it again. You'll hear it in the pod. We're putting this at the top. But we talked about how Ryan Fitzpatrick is somebody that loves to go deep. So now you have Terry, you have Curtis, you have Antonio Gibson. You have a bunch of guys that can play different positions. They're not set in one place. We know Scott Turner loves motion offense. We know that he loves deception. We know that he likes to put in uh, matchups where Curtis Samuel is going to be lined up against a linebacker, and he's killing them every time. You talked about his deep threat ability. I could talk about his ability if you want him coming out of the backfield. He could play. He could play running back for you. He can do. Um, he could do. He could run your screens for you. He can run your jet sweeps. So he's the true like army knight that can do everything for you. And I mean, again, we talked about it for a long time that he was the perfect fit for us, and it was only a matter of time. But now that it's official, it's just really nice to see. Uh, things coming together. Yeah, and honestly, it, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, go yeah, ahead. And I was just saying, man, Um, when you kind of look at what his role is going to truly be, it's going to be that army knife, similar to almost how we'd be using um, Antonio Gibson. We can start to fill that need in for Curtis Samuel. Now we can see Antonio Gibson maybe get a little bit more feature back roles, maybe be more the third down guy, um, or, or the, maybe a three down guy. And, and, you know, you see some type of sets where you have, God, you have Antonio Gibson, Curtis Samuel, and Terry McLaurin out there. It's the first time in a really a long time we have a bunch of full four guys speed out there. It is really an element that you see have literally won Super Bowls for teams like the Chiefs, where you have speed guys out there and you're just running around. It's so much more you can do with the speed element. It's just a it's something we really really needed in DC, man, for a really long time. The watching a football team's offense is no longer a liability. Yeah. And just a simple, just and obviously we, we knew going into the offseason it would take one or two things. Instead of Steven Sims, you go Curtis Samuel. Instead of Alex Smith, Alex Smith couldn't move as a quarterback. You go Ryan Fitzpatrick. Dwayne Haskins was a bad quarterback. Kyle Allen was okay. I think Kyle Allen with this offense too would uh, be pretty good. Heineke too with this offense. So they've upgraded where their defense doesn't need to be A1, but they still upgraded their defense. And that was the one thing that everybody was looking at last year where um, I remember a segment on Get Up where they said, yeah, Washington could be a Super Bowl contender in two to three years because they already have a foundation where they're pretty good with a non-existent offense. Now, if you have your Calvin Harmons, your uh, Cam Sims as your fourth and fifth receivers or guy maybe even making the practice squad, then you're pretty set. These guys are not number twos and number threes, but having them as backups, it's going to be um, a great fit for the Washington football team. So we'll we'll stop this here. We'll get back get get back into the regular pod where we do talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick and William Jackson and just basically grading and talking about what Washington football has done in free agency so far. We do talk, touch on wide receivers and like Mike has said, he did bring up Curtis Samuel, but that was only a small portion of the podcast. So we'll get to that coming up right after here. Thanks for listening to this emergency pod. Welcome into District One Sports, Mike and Micah back with you for another week. It's Free agency week here on the pod, but as always, we have to start with, unfortunately, <laughs> the Washington Wizards. Um, Micah, last time we talked, we were pretty excited coming out of going into the All-Star break, even though the Wizards were struggling, uh, had lost two, two games before uh, to Boston and Memphis. They beat the Clippers going into break, giving us some momentum. We knew the stretch coming out would be tough with Memphis uh, the Bucks twice in Philadelphia. We thought maybe we can get a game. Maybe we can go two and two. We've been zero and four since the All Star break. <laughs> just, I don't have a question. Just give me your thoughts on this team. 
Man, um, we're pretenders, dog. It's it's unfortunate. <laughs> it is really is unfortunate because I mean, the last what maybe ten to fifteen games before, I really thought we were um we were moving out of that lane of just being bad and moving into you know actually playing decent basketball, things actually making sense on the court, and it's like that little All Star break. It wasn't even long. It wasn't even a grandiose as it usually is. You know, it threw off all momentum, and we're right back to square one. It feels like man. Um, no defense, just just bad. I mean, yes, three three playoff teams. Uh, you know, three playoff games. I should say, um, two against the Milwaukee Bucks, one against the Seventy Sixers, and one against the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. Each time, it's just something happened, and the team just didn't respond to it. You know, and these are things that at this point in the season they should be um they should be clearing up. And you did mention in the last uh, the last pod, the last time we talked about the Wizards, how. They did have a little bit of a stretch before they had the quote unquote one of the top five easiest schedules after the All Star break. They do have a little stretch of uh, playoff teams they have to play, but what you want to see out of the Wizards at this point, especially from a team that was playing like it, um, like they were before the All Star break, is for them to actually compete and then actually be in these games and possibly win these games. And you're just not seeing that. It's not really much else to talk about. You hope that they can find it out once again and maybe get back into their groove of winning, but. This team is just not who we thought they were, and I don't feel like it's even a um a crazy thing to say. I don't feel like I'm stretching it or being too um, you know, think overthinking it. It's kind of just what we're seeing. This team is a a pretender in my eyes, and unless they prove me wrong over the next couple of games, I'm gonna stick with that. I've I feel like throughout the throughout the pod, which what we've been going from about two months now. Mm-hmm. We've gone back and forth in the Switchers team. I'm just I've gotten to the point where I'm not going back and forth. Uh what was it? A couple of weeks ago I brought up do we want to tank to get one of these top guys in the draft or do we want to make the playoffs and just build off of that? I don't I don't care to make the playoffs anymore. I don't care to be a ten seed in the playing game. If you're gonna go ahead and be a four seed and or a five seed and maybe make some noise, maybe a quick upset or seem like you're moving forward to something that you can attract free agents next year. Yeah, sure. But nobody's coming into D.C. the way it's constructed. Lose. Tank, lose. Sell whatever pieces you can at the trade deadline. It seems like teams are interested in Robin Lopez, and yep. I don't I don't blame them. He's not very good defensively, but he's able to get you a quick two points whenever you need it. That skyhook may be ugly, but it works. It, it, it has worked for them. So I'm done with the Wizards where it's, oh, maybe we'll make the playoffs. Yeah, you beat the Kings tonight. So what? So what? I think that we should just go ahead, finish out the season, fire Scott Brooks, give Beal the Supermax, try to trade Russ, and get a high draft pick and see if we can move move on from there. The Houston Rockets have the right idea. 17 straight, they've lost. <laughs> <laughs> they, they trade they tra- trade James Harden, lose 17 straight. They, they try to get their next James Harden, get a Cade Cunningham in the building. Now you have Cade Cunningham, Kevin Porter. You could start – you can start working with things, Christian Wood. Like, you can start making things happen. But instead, Wizards want to be in this purgatory where we may be a seven seed. We may be a we may be a, a, a ten seed. We may be a four seed. They haven't gotten to a place where they've been a one or two seed in the NBA. And the only season they did that, they weren't even able to get to um, the Easter Conference Finals. I was looking back at it, like, Obviously, the Milwaukee Bucks got lucky with Giannis, but look at all the top teams now. The Sixers—they sucked for a long time. I wouldn't—I wouldn't go that route with just like 
tanking and not playing actual basketball, I think it's disrespectful to the game. To the game, yeah. But look at the Charlotte Hornets. They never really truly tanked, but then they went all in this season. We're like, okay, we have LaMelo. Let's go get Gordon Hayward, somebody that com- complements the team. Now they have Terry Rozier. They have LaMelo. They have uh, Devontae Graham. They have Gordon Hayward, PJ. And it's a real team now. They're a playoff team. The Miami Heat, they never had to – they lost Dwayne Wade and retooled immediately. Like, you have to pick a lane. You can't be trying to either suck and then, okay, maybe we'll get the ninth pick and pick a Denny Abdia. Like, I love Denny, but if you would have been worse last year and didn't end up going into that bubble, who knows where they would have been. Maybe they would have gotten a top three pick. Maybe they would have gotten uh, one of those game changers. So pick a lane, I, I, and I think I know the lane that I want to go to, and let's move on. But the Wizards have just been – they've just been a disappointing team, man. Just been a disappointing team. Yeah, um, and one more quick little point. Um, we've mentioned it a couple of times that the Wizards, um, yes, they may have, quote, unquote, one of the easiest schedules, but the schedule itself and the games is absolutely grueling from now, which is, what, March 17th, until May 16th, um, my birthday, but, yeah. So for the next two months, literally, there's not a, there's not a stretch where they have literally two days off. Either they're playing back-to-backs or they only have one night off before another game. This is one of the most grueling situations I've ever heard and just, like, in basketball history in itself. And even if you're trying to make the playoffs and even make a play-in, it's going to be absolutely grueling for the roster and the players. They're going to have to pull a lot lot of stops to really get, you know, to this point where I guess they see themselves. Um, And really, if I'm high management, man, and I can kind of oversee this and kind of think about this, I'm telling them no. Like you mentioned, man, just no. There's no reason to do this to our players. In a in a weird COVID year, you can at the very worst retool and go into the next year. But um, yeah, everything you mentioned, bro, it's just it's bad. I don't even want to talk about it, bro. Yeah, um, let's let's move on. Um, <laughs> they play they play the Sacramento Kings. Uh, I don't know the rest of their schedule this week. I I honestly don't care. After that second Bucks game, losing, <laughs> getting down by twenty again, I was just like, ah, it, it's no point in watching. Moving on to a team that actually makes me happy, that actually gets yes, me going, that's actually fun to talk about, the Washington football team. So let's start back to last week, Wednesday, when we had our pod where we were like, okay, QB's looking like Mariota may or may not be released. That's probably where we go. Fast forward to Monday, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been signed as um, a quarterback in the room for Washington. So, Mike, I have two questions for you. First, what do you think of this signing? And second, do you think this stops Washington from drafting a QB, whether it be first round or whether it be later in the draft, in the draft upcoming? So this move is probably the biggest lateral move, the most expensive lateral move um, you could possibly do. And is let me say, let me preface this. This situation is not bad. You're getting, what, 10 mil for a guy who you know is, in a way, Fitzpatrick is proven, things like that. But what this is is a lateral move. You don't necessarily get better. I mean, if you do get better, you move from, like, the bottom three quarterbacks to at least, at the very worst, the top, one of the top 20 quarterbacks. And that's literally, like, he's probably, like, 19 or 20 on that list when starting. So um, you move a little bit up. Um, but really what this move does, it, it legitimizes the QB room, but it also gives you the flexibility to go get another young guy if you really need to. Um, and I guess the kind of thought of this is that, with now, you know, Fitzpatrick there, they can grab a young guy and maybe him be the mentor or even mentor the young guys that are still there. I mean, Taylor Heineke is a prime example of a guy who 
you've seen a little bit of flashes of things, you know, and even just the the one and a half games that he plays really a game in uh in the fourth quarter of that Panthers game. But um, you know, you, you see a little bit of of what could possibly be, and you kind of want to mold that. And I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is the right you know way to go for that. Um, once again, this move doesn't necessarily sure up the quarterback room and it still gives them a lot of flexibility to draft a guy, um, even possibly bring a, a young guy in, depending on what happens, uh, you know, throughout free agency and the rest of this process. But um, I really do think that there's a lot of removing. You can kind of hear it in my demeanor, in my voice. I'm not necessarily excited by it. Um, I am excited of the fact that we can actually throw downfield now because if there's one thing Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to do, he's going to take a shot, a calculated shot at that. Um it's not a bad move for a quarterback player. I definitely think that um, Terry McLaurin and the receivers are going to love it because Fitzpatrick trusts his guys. That's just who he is. I mean, he doesn't have the physical skills. He's never had the physical skills. But um, when you're 37 years old, 39 years old, I should say, and you're a wildly veteran, man, you go out there and you just trust your guys. So um, I expect guys like Terry McLaurin to have a big year. Um, any better free agent, you know, receiver, you can sell them on the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to get you the ball. And you still have a chance to play with another young budding star because you have Ryan Fitzpatrick in the building. He could possibly mentor them. So um, I definitely think it's a um, it's a hold on the on the quarterback situation. I definitely think that the goal is going to be next year to get the guy for the future. Um, but you plant the seeds with a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick this year, and I, I think it's a smart move. Um, I don't think it addresses it once again, but I think it's a smart, safe, kind of calculated move, kind of just um. Going with the plan that it seems like they're sharing uh, up everything else around them, you know, on the team, and then they're going to plug the quarterback need in last. So, um, as far as lateral move goes, man, I love it just because, uh, just because you know you're going to get a guy who's going to be able to play well. Um, you know, he does have a little bit of interception troubles and things like that, but it's not to the degree of like it doesn't sacrifice the plays made, and that's what you want out of your quarterbacks for the first time and. Maybe since Kirk want to get a guy who's actually going to be able to throw it downfield accurate at that. So um, I'm a little bit, you know, looking forward to it, but um, it's not the answer. It's really not the answer. Yeah, it's definitely not the answer for long term. Um, I see this move as um, I saw somebody, I believe it was Kevin Sheen earlier today mm-hmm. said that. No, Chris Cooley actually said it earlier today um, that Fitzpatrick is essentially going to be Taylor Heineke's dad. Uh, <laughs> they want to play the exact, they play the exact same style. Want to push the ball downfield. Want to be able yep. to move it. And you're going to get the big touchdowns. You're also going to get the stupid interceptions. The thing that made Dwayne Haskins so bad is that you never got the big plays. He'll be underneath, 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 and then he'll throw down the field and throw an interception. So you're going to get big plays. You're going to get Terry getting twelve, thirteen hundred yards next year. But you're also going to get the interceptions with it. Do I think this is going to stop Washington from potentially drafting? another quarterback in the draft if I don't think so I feel like if they love somebody and they think that okay this guy could be here for the future they may have him on the team maybe he makes the roster maybe he doesn't maybe he's a practice squad guy depending on how early or how late they draft him it's a Cal Trask type of situation I could see Cal Allen maybe uh, not being on the team but if they draft somebody later and you have find yourself in a Steven Montez uh, situation again yeah throw him on the practice squad did I love the move? No, because Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't my number one guy. Mariota was. But looking back at it and just ranking it, Ryan Fitzpatrick would probably have been my number two because mm-hmm. I would have rather have Fitzpatrick over Trubisky for whatever Trubisky's cost is. I probably would have had Ryan Fitzpatrick over Andy Dalton. Like, 
they're not very like they're not super different Andy Dalton and Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I'll, I'll go with Fitzpatrick just because of his ability to throw down the field. I definitely mm-hmm. wasn't giving up a second or a third round pick for Sam Darnold, and that's looking like that's going to be the cost that ended to um to get him. I am, I guess they wanted to get QB out of the way, but I am curious to see what happens with the Deshaun Watson situation because I don't know about Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Teddy Bridgewater, but if there was a situation where Deshaun is able to land in San Fran, Jimmy G would have been an interesting prospect to at least see if he's willing to come to D.C., whether it be by trade. I'll be willing to give up a third round or a second round for Jimmy G. If he's if he's mm-hmm. healthy, he's a pretty good quarterback in my eyes. I mean, he didn't lose a game for – he didn't lose a game with the Patriots and then didn't lose his first four games when he got traded with the 49ers. And even though he cost the 49ers the game per se um, – he also helped get them to the Super Bowl with a similar style where the defense was really good and that he has a good running back in Antonio Gibson here. So I do think they could have waited a little bit just because the market hasn't been crazy so far for quarterbacks to be signed. I mean, it, it's only Andy Dalton and Ryan Fitzpatrick and then Tyrod Taylor because obviously Watson's getting traded. So I wish they would have waited a little bit later on that, but I, I can't be super mad. And if they do love somebody in the draft, I do think they take them. Now, if somebody from the first round is to drop, do they take a quarterback now? I think that is going to be an interesting question because you did, even though it's one year, you did spend uh, a good amount of your cap with $10 million to have somebody be your starter. So right. you're not going to have three backups and, and a young QB. Could we see another two-a situation where he starts and then we're bringing along Justin Field or Trey Lance? Who knows? But it's not something that's definitely a long-term deal. Um, it's a Band-Aid. And that leads me to my next question, Mike. I, I said I was going to bring this up on the pod, but what is Washington's QB future? Because the way they're currently going, they're going to be a 7-9 and nine to 10-6 and six team for the next two to three years. And that's not good enough to get you a top QB unless a QB is disgruntled and wants to leave their city like a Russell Wilson or something. You're not going to be able to get that top guy. So what is Washington's plan to – actually address the QB situation. It can't be these one year, oh, we'll do Ryan Fitzpatrick, oh, we'll do Taylor Heineke one year, we'll do this next QB that becomes available, we'll do a Mariota. How exactly do you get your QB of the future? Man, uh, you're asking all the right questions, bro, and it's a really complex answer to that. Um, <clears throat> it sucks because I don't, I don't think there is a path for us to ever have a top five guy now. Um, Unless they find a way to package possible assets in a, a later year, but the the issue in that is, this is this is the most you ever going to see, uh, you know, two to three very quality guys out there, um, you know, asking for trades or being on the market, and one of them is already you know kind of shored up, and that was Matthew Stafford with the trade uh, to the Rams. So now you're in a situation where there's still two top level guys out there, two top five guys in my opinion, and um. Well, two top ten guys because Russell Wilson is a interesting, interesting character. But um, two top quarterbacks out there, and we're not gonna be able to make a move for them. And if you start looking forward, those two guys want to get long term contracts. They're not getting the one year deals that other vets are getting. They they're gonna get shored up by, um, you know wh- wherever they go. Um, either either in contracts or whatever the situation might be. Then you're looking into next year's free agency. Um. You're looking at the rookie class from a couple years ago, uh, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. 
Um, you know, all those guys who are making splashes, they're going to get long-term deals coming in the next season if they don't get tagged. So now you're in a situation where there's less top guys out there. And it kind of goes right into what you said, man. We start being a 7-9, and nine, um, you know, 8-9, and nine, have we played 17 games, 9-8, and 10-7, even 11-6. We're not going to be in the market for a true top guy. Now, the only way I think they could do it is true player development and taking a risk on a guy. It would have to be a trade-up scenario if you wanted a top guy in there just to sit. Um, if you really believe in some of the back-end um, QBs in this draft, uh, let's say like a Kellen Mond or a Jamie Newman, and you really, really want him to, you know, adopt the play style of a guy like Fitz, maybe control the interceptions more, but, um, you know, taking shots and things like that, that could be a possibility. But you're working yourself into a – you're going to miss one of the most lucrative – QB markets that we've seen in a really long time. There's not a lot of times you get top 10 guys, let alone two or three of them, all entering at the same time, man. You really want them to kind of focus on that now, but I guess the plan and I guess the makeup of this team is always going to be mid-tier quarterback play and an amazing team all around them. If that's their if that's their like mission and things like that, that's what their, you know, their plan is. It's only a a couple times where it really worked in, you know, for winning Super Bowls and things like that. And you have to have an elite defense and you have to be really, really lucky for it to really work like that. Um, and I don't know if it will, but I'm also not going to say it won't. Um, it's going to be interesting, but the path to the top five guy is gone, in my opinion, unless you make a blockbuster trade somehow or you find your way into a top three, um, a top three pick. It's just unrealistic. So, I, I I agree with you there. Um, this year it's going to be tough, and it sucks because I really do love almost every first round quarterback this year. Yeah, I would I would have loved to if it meant that you really did love a guy. And again, it, it matters if the OC QB coach everybody sees this is the guy that can lead us forward. I would have been willing to trade a couple of first round picks to move up and get the guy if you think that's the case. But now we're in a spot where. And I don't want to use Kansas City as an example because they really did love Patrick Mahomes. But the way that the quarterback market has moved over the past three, four years, you have to be in a top 10 position to get a quarterback that you really like. Yeah. So it's either next year you're trading first round picks or you're, you're, um, you're trading defensive players that are, have been pivotal to making you a top defense in the league. One of those options to try to go up and get a quarterback. So that's where people are like, well, was it worth it making the playoffs versus Tampa Bay where the Eagles and uh, the Giants and the Cowboys, if Cowboys and Giants obviously don't need um, a QB and it looks like the Eagles don't, but if you were one of those teams, we wouldn't be in a situation where we're like, ah, could we get a Justin Fields? Could we get a Trey Lance? Because the answer probably would have been yes. But now because we did make the playoffs, we're in 19 and I would take the playoff over and over again, but it does make it a lot harder for you to get that guy for the future. So it's it's going to be interesting to watch how how this organization maneuvers with um, trying to find that next guy. Because for Ron, this is the first time he's going to have to find a quarterback. He came in and it was obvious who they were drafting. Cam was going to be that guy. Cam was going to lead them. And he did. Got him to a Super Bowl. This is a totally different situation. They don't have that guy. They don't have the number one pick. He, he His first year – um, his first year, he, he had uh, a number two in Chase Young, but the best guy available, everybody thought, was Joe Burrow. And obviously, they weren't high on Justin Herbert, and they wanted to shore up the defense. I'm fine with it. I mean, 
even though I love Justin Herbert, I, I didn't think he was the number two pick overall. Nobody thought he was going to play like that. Yeah, going back, would we probably end up drafting Justin over Chase? Probably, just because of how important the quarterback is. But you can't go back now. So in year two, surprise, you have, he has a better season and he's not the number two uh, pick overall. You have to find something to, to figure it out. And that's where the Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Taylor Heineke's, and the Kyle Allen come in, uh, come in. It should be interesting to see how they maneuver it. I still think that there is a possibility if one of the guys drop to 19 in the draft that we do end up drafting a first-round QB, but I wouldn't hold my breath for those guys um, dropping. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, uh, we, we weren't really worried for the most part the first couple of the tampering days, but then after you lose Ronald Darby, which, I mean, after who we signed, I understand why you're able to let Darby walk. But I thought Darby played really good for his contract last season. You lose um, a KPL, but you pick up a William Jackson the third from the Cincinnati Bengals. And, I mean, I don't know if I saw any negative comments, but all over Twitter, all the guys that break down from all the guys that um, break down the Bengals said that this is a number one corner that you paid for number two money. And people – I saw people try to compare it to Josh Norman. And I went to go look at Josh Norman's contract. It's five years later, and <laughs> players are making a lot more now that they did back then. Josh Norman still made $1 million more at $15 million a year for mm-hmm. the Redskins back then versus now what William Jackson is getting for Washington this year. So it was a great bargain on a deal. It, it looks like he could be a number one type of corner who's going to follow around. And um, I saw a stat that Washington was, I think, maybe if not the last in the league in press coverage, but one of the last in press co- uh Man, uh, man press coverage last year because they didn't have any guys that can really press. And with a defense like this and sending a blitz and now having a guy who can you can be sure can cover one-on-one, how exactly are you going to double Chase Young or Montez Sweat or in the interior if you're sending somebody else off the edge? So I think it just makes the defense a lot more dynamic, and I, and I love the move. What about you? Yeah, um, I think it's a perfect move. Um, And you mentioned a really good stat, and I, I really, you know um, – poignant kind of comment that like they didn't play a lot of press man and when they tried they got absolutely burnt um, yeah absolutely toasted and it was a real issue for them I think even it was a point where they kind of just kind of stopped playing man there was a lot of more zone and of course Ron Vera is known for his uh his own schemes and things like that but but man I mean you have to play man at this in in this you know 2021 version of the NFL and they weren't able to do it and signing William Jackson you're getting a absolute top five man coverage corner top 10 and top 10 in general but as a, you know pure man corner he's a top five guy um just look what he did against terry mclaurin last year a couple pass breakups um and really his pass breakup game in general he's one of the best at you know getting his hand on the ball not necessarily not necessarily catching a pick but being around the ball and being a nuisance there's no guy better um, besides, you know, guys like Jalen Ramsey and, you know, Jai Alexander, the top corners in the league, then a guy like William Jackson, he's right there. I mean, and it's really, really a testament to, I guess, believing in the defense and sharing up that end because we can talk all offense and stuff we want, but if your defense is out there getting beat and scoring, you know, and 21-plus points get on the board, you're possibly not winning that game. So getting a guy like William Jackson for the, the money he uh, is only going to cost is an absolute bargain. And also, you're getting William Jackson at a point in his career where he is an absolute veteran. Um, he's 28. He's probably going to be 28 by uh, 29 by the time the season starts. You're going to get him for um, really his 
his peak right now. If you're a cornerback and you're lasting this long, this is where you're getting the best years of your career. If you didn't peak early, you're peaking right now. Right into, you know, late 20s, early 30s is where you're going to get your best DB play if the guy's already not a top five guy. And William Jackson is right in that range. He's just now really hitting his stride as a corner. Mm-hmm. His best years are ahead of him. And the best part about this all is you're going to be able to possibly get out of this deal and not have to resign him and let William Jackson hit the open market when, you know, he's 32, 33 years old. And that's when we find out corners don't have it anymore. Like, that's when, you know, the time is up for a cornerback when you're hitting 33, 34 years old. Yeah, but if uh, so on we're getting the, him... the other uh, aspect mm-hmm. of that is if he is able to play up to his contract, you can just go ahead and extend him for another three, four exactly. years. And you don't really feel bad about having to give him more money because at that point, the TV money would have kicked in for uh, the new TV deal. And on top of that, you got such a bargain with him on the front end. It doesn't hurt on the back end to pay him to pay him um, some a little bit of extra uh, money just to make sure that he stays in D.C. Exactly. So, And that's why I believe this deal is kind of a, a match made in heaven for the sense that you get your positional need. We were talking about this. Yes, the the defense was great, but that secondary was a little eh. Like, we're lucky that D-line was around sometimes and got there before the court, before the damn ball got released or it might have been a touchdown. So, we had, you know, we wanted to see them go grab a corner and ideally, we would have want them to bring back a guy like Ronald Darby, who is just okay. Yeah. But they brought back a guy better than Ronald Darby, mm-hmm. who can play better zone, better man coverage than Ronald Darby, who which Ronald Darby had to do because he was the de facto, he was the front side quarterback, uh, cornerback in, in a lot of these sets. Um, think about the Dallas game. Um, you know, Dalton looks <laughs> Dalton looks right was his front side. He's getting beat downfield. Well, William Jackson is there now. And that's way better than Ronald Darby, in my opinion. Ronald Darby would be a mid-tier guy, and William Jackson is on the borderline of being an elite um, corner. So the improvements there is exactly what we needed. We've been talking about they needed another one or two corners to kind of share this up and make this a legitimate unit. unit. And they did that with William Jackson. So um, on the the cap side, it makes sense. On the field, it makes sense. And you're getting a guy who's been working at this, man. He's still in the league at, you know, 28, 29 years old. He's a pro's pro. And I think it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be really nice to watch him out there. It was a really good pickup by them. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there, especially with, um, I think obviously we know Ron is known as, as a zone, as a zone core, uh, a zone coach, but we have to look at yeah. what has he had that he he really could have gone man. Um, he couldn't have gone man with Josh Norman. We saw how that experiment went out. So this is the first time he really <laughs> does have a true man guy, and I want to see what he's able to do with them if. That doesn't mean sending more blitz or that does mean sending Cam Curl a lot more and whatever the situation may be. It makes the defense, like I said, more dynamic and just you, you open the playbook a lot more for other things. Moving on from William Jackson, it should be interesting to see how he fits in. I want to talk about linebackers. Um, So all the top linebackers, I'll just run through them real quick, have either been re-signed by their team or signed somewhere else. Um, Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Bud Dupree, Matt Milano, Matt Judon, Hassan Reddick just got signed, Leonard Floyd. So, next tier, uh, Calva Noy, uh, Jayon Brown was signed, re-signed by uh, Tennessee. You have Melvin Ingram, KJ Wright, Avery Wilson, lower than that, Sean Lee, Quan Alexander. So, Micah, obviously, linebacker is a huge need now, losing KPL, that speed. Ron Rivera talked about him in his press conference on getting somebody like that to stay in the building. He obviously uh, left to the Texans. What are you trying to see from Washington next couple of days with signing 
um, another linebacker? Man, um, honestly, yeah. I still want them – at this point, because the top guys are gone, I want them to kind of hit that next tier. And if that means kind of um, paying a veteran guy like Calvin Noy or um, taking a look at a guy like, you know, uh, Quan Alexander – all these things are, you know, possible. Just it's, it's possibilities now. I mean, unfortunately, man, we miss. It seems like we kind of missed the window for the linebacker to get one of the top guys. But I mentioned this in a, uh, you know, a couple of pods ago. Linebacker is a um interesting situation because it's like the top guys and then the very bad guys and everybody else is kind of just stacked in the middle. In the right scheme, you can turn, you can turn really any linebacker into a great guy on the field for you. So um. I would like to take. I would like for them to take a look at a couple of veteran guys, um, like I mentioned, the K1 uh, K1 Alexander's, maybe a guy like uh, Raekwon McMillan, uh, even even taking a look see you know at, at Ruben Foster's health or something like that. Uh, it's unfortunate we got to this point, but the linebacker situation was very thin. Um, it was either you get a top guy or you don't. I, I think personally, um, the guy that would fit maybe the best would be a guy like Kyle Van Noy, and it would be a strong side guy. Um, you know, a guy that can play a little bit of everything is kind of a a, a jackknife. He can play a three four and a four three. He's a run stopper. He can play a little bit of coverage. I think that would be a good guy just to have in there. But it doesn't solve the issues, I guess, for the future. Um, if you do go ahead and get a veteran guy to kind of fill in the um, you know, fill in the Sam role, you still kind of need a will, and you still, I mean, ideally, you still wouldn't want Cole Holcomb starting at at your middle. I mean, maybe you bump. Cole Holcomb over to um to your will, and then you go ahead and draft a guy um you know you draft one of the linebackers we talked about, and kind of plug that up in the middle. But ideally, you want them to go get one of the top guys, and they kind of failed to do that. And I mean, the market was what it was; it's not really their fault. Um, but it is a situation that we're in now, so I would like them to see a um I would like for them to go you know go get a veteran, somebody that can do a little bit of everything. Uh, there's not a lot of guys with top skills out there anymore, great cover guys. There's not a lot of, you know, pure, just crazy athletes out there. So you kind of have to just fill in what it is now. I think a veteran, I think a veteran Sam linebacker who can play the run and get a little bit of pass coverage in him. You bump Cole Holcomb over the wheel, and then you go ahead and draft it. Or, uh, go ahead and draft your new middle linebacker of the future if he's available, man. Um, but I do think that, you know, Ideally, the situation now, I don't know if they're going to fill up that positional need. It, it kind of sucks, but it, it's kind of the reality. I'm calling my shot now. I'm going with uh, KJ Wright is going to be is going to be on the Washington football team. I don't I don't know why. I, I think that he you called it. Yeah, earlier, bro. I, I think that he's he's a guy that could fit. Seems like just the Ron Rivera type of linebacker and could fit in the system. You're 100 percent right. I think they're going to draft a linebacker in the first two rounds. Almost no question about it at this point. After losing, um, after losing KPO and not really signing any of uh, those top guys, but I could see KJ Wright mm-hmm. fit into the mix somehow and and um, drafting at linebacker. It's definitely an interesting position, just like you said. It's other top guys, and then everybody else is just kind of in the mix. Like hey. nobody's really changing the game or anything. Um, moving over quickly to safety, uh, Trey Boston obviously has been officially. Um, release now. We still haven't really figured out um, the safety, free safety position. But Micah, you did bring up a potential, a potential situation where you said that 
the safety position is taken care of for Washington football team. They don't, they're not really going to go out and get somebody else. So explain, explain that situation. Yeah. And um, it's a last ditch effort. So let me preface, you know, uh, my thinking with this, it, it's kind of the, okay, we have these guys in house. Maybe the market isn't where we want to um, be because the top guys have, they, they were locked up long ago. <laughs> um, you know, there, there was no, there was no possible path to, Justin, uh, Justin Simmons, uh, or anything like that. Like it, it was just, there was no way to possibly get those guys. So now we're at, uh, you know, tier B. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to, you don't want to pay. It, it's crazy. You don't want to necessarily pay any of these guys like you, uh, like you would have, like an Anthony Harris or a Justin Simmons, or even in my opinion, a guy like um, Lamarcus Joyner. John Johnson got paid. Like all these guys got paid because they're you know they're really good. Rayshon Jenkins got paid um, because they were quality starters. And I think right now you have two quality starters in the building, um, and that's Cam Curl and Landon Collins. Now that means Cam Curl is going to have to default play free safety, and I'm not necessarily comfortable with that. But I think he's a rangy enough of a player to do it. It's just teaching him to not be so nosy in the box and teaching him to, tr- you know, truly be a center field guy. I think he has it in him because, I mean, if you're a, a seventh-round guy and you found your way to start, and it wasn't necessarily by necessity. I mean, it kind of was, but it wasn't. Like, he, he kind of proved himself. And then that means you're a coachable guy and you can be coached in the scheme and things like that. And I do think that Cam Curl is the guy that could possibly make that switch too free. But it also means on relying on Landon Collins to kind of get back in the form and being the box safety that he was supposed to be when we paid him all that money a couple years ago. And part of me kind of thinks it'll be a lot easier to do that with the way this defense is going to be. Um, ideally, you don't want Landon uh, Collins in coverage responsibility at all and at the strong safety position, at least, at least how we've seen it, you know, so far in Ron Rivera's defense. He's very much playing that rover role, um, you know, kind of nose in the box kind of thing you know, eating all the uh, the bubbles and the screens in the RPO game, kind of being a nuisance and kind of like being a fourth linebacker out there. Mm-hmm. Landon Collins, honestly, he w- he could never make the true transition to linebacker, but he can play a rover, a uh, strong, you know, strong safety, sub linebacker kind of role. And I honestly think that, you know, in 2021, that's where you're going to see him and you're going to see Cam Crow deep. Um, I don't know if these guys – I don't know – if you draft a safety high, it just doesn't seem like a position they do. I do think they draft the safety and kind of bank on him being the free safety of the future with proper development. If you develop Cam Crow, then you get a guy with a similar mindset and mentality and maybe even, um, you know, skill set, and you kind of work with that and mold that and you make, and you bet on yourself. Um, but I don't think there's any way that any of the free agents left are getting paid to be a free safety, especially not top dollar. Um, uh, even Trey Boston, which I ideally would be, you know, the guy you want in there. I don't know if um, I don't know if they even, you know, pay him top. Dollar. No, he's he not compete- somewhere else. He's but... not commanding much money. I don't think so. At least. Yeah, 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 yeah. And by top dollar, I don't necessarily mean like market value, uh, <laughs> Justin Simmons type of money or John Johnson type of money, but just like enough given the cap. But um, I do kind of like the situation of a Cam Crow and um. Landon Collins, just because I believe in Cam Crow enough as a player to make the switch to free. And Landon Collins, he is a hard-nosed, strong safety. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to sum myself on this as I speak, but, like, I do think it will be a possibility. And I'm kind of interested to see him on the field. But, uh, yeah, that's my that's my uh, string theory there on the safety position, man. And 
when you first said it, I was like, eh, probably not. But then I started thinking about it. Before Landon got hurt, that's where uh, Cam would play significantly. It wasn't until yep. Cam got really got to be strong, more in the box type of guy, that he, he really started making plays. He didn't really do anything bad as a um, as a free, but he, he didn't really make that many plays like he did when uh, Landon versus what versus when Landon went down. So it is interesting. I still think they do hopefully try to sign somebody, and hopefully that is Trey Boston, just somebody cheap that you can get one year deal, see what happens, and try to trade the guy for the future. If not, so be it. You go again next year. Um, moving on to there, and this is Micah's obviously specialty. The number one thing that has gotten Washington football team fans <laughs> in a frenzy. <laughs> <Riled> up. <laughs> uh, wide receiver. So, obviously, wide receiver has been the biggest need all offseason since last year after he tried for Amari Cooper, weren't able to get him. So, Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin, two people that we thought maybe they'll be interested in, got tagged by their teams. Uh, Kenny Galladay just reported that uh, the interest is there with Giants and Giants and Bengals. Haven't heard anything watching the football team. So now we're left with Juju, Curtis Samuel, Will Fuller. Those three guys, one of those three guys you would hope or assume would end up being on the Washington football team. Who would you want on this team, Micah? And who do you think ends up signing with the Washington football team? If you think one of these guys end up signing with them. Yeah, um, I still have my money on Curtis Samuel being the signing. Um, just because I think that in this offense, and I've talked about it um, many times, whether it's been on the pod, you know, um, group chats, you know, personal combos, anything that in Scott Turner's offense, I really do believe that um, the slot position might be the most important position. And I really do think that ideally you wouldn't want to insert a rookie there um, or a young player there year one because – what Scott Turner is trying to do is, I mean, yes, he is trying to take his shots here and there, and he needs a quarterback to do that. But he's also trying to move laterally and do a lot of misdirections, whether that's sweeps, motions, um, you know, jet looks, whatever it is to kind of throw off a defense enough to give a gap. That's kind of what the offense is. And I really saw the, you know, his offense looked the best when they had Curtis Samuel at the slot. When, um, what was it, in, 20, in 2018, 2019, when – yeah, and it was 2019 when Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore were out there with the Panthers. They made it work. Even when they had Kyle Allen playing most of the games, when Cam was hurt, um, they still made a, they made it happen. And I really do think that Curtis Samuel is the perfect slot option for this uh, team. He is a veteran. He does know the offense. Um, his skill set, he's right, really, he's honestly getting into the prime of his career as far as being a sure receiver. But he hasn't sacrificed his speed at all. He's still a relatively young player. Um, I think the time, you know, through his first rookie deal in his contract, it seasoned him enough to learn how to, you know, be a true slot. Um, I think he put on a little bit of weight from his college days, of course. And he's kind of worked his way into, like, the ideal slot, similar to how you would want um, a speedy guy like maybe a, um, maybe a, like a John Brown inside. When he, you don't necessarily want a guy like John Brown playing outside. Yes, he has a lot of speed. But you want that speed against linebackers. You want it against safeties. You want it against your nickel corner. And honestly, I think Curtis Samuel does that. He brings the speed element. He brings the hands element. He brings playmaking. Um, and really, I think it's a good fit. Ideally, my you know my plan for I guess the team was you know to hopefully go um go veteran slot. You know, a guy that knows the system or at least can you know 
pick up the system and adopt it early and then go uh, a younger, maybe a rookie um, at the uh, at the X or the Z, man. And I really do think that's going to happen. So if I was to put money on it, I would have to think Curtis Samuel is probably the best fit. Um, would I accept Juju as a Washington football team player? Absolutely, because he is a top talent when he actually gets targets and things like that. Shout out to the Steelers for misusing him. But, um, but yeah, man, I think Curtis Samuel is the guy. And I really want him to see him in Burgundy and Gold just because I know he will elevate this team in this offense to another level. Um, you know, it's the small things that matters in some offenses, and we're one of those offenses. So uh, plugging a guy in him like him is really going to help. Yeah, uh, I think Curtis is going to be – it's going to be the guy that they end up signing. And I don't think it's going to be for as much money as we originally thought. Um, the conversation out there is that the wide receiver market isn't as, uh, isn't as heavy as we thought it would be. We, we, we thought we were going to see mm-hmm. 18 to $20 million deals. People are saying it's now maybe 12 to 14, 14 to 16 um, for the super top guys. So that's why we haven't seen the uh, sign, signings yet. I could see Curtis Samuel getting signed out of tonight. Uh, tomorrow sometime this week just to be uh like you said that slot guy and then you're obviously a big fan of Bateman at 19 uh and you really do have an offense now with Fitzpatrick where it's it's actually a fun offense where you have AG who who, <laughs> who can catch out of the backfield and also line up as a wide receiver really good in five wide JD McKissick um again really good in five wide um and Terry now has two playmakers beside him so I'll be interested to see what they do with that wide receiver market but Again, in Ron, I trust. That, that's been my model this, this offseason. Oh, we lose Ronald Darby. I, I kind of got worried when we lost Darby and KPL. Boom, we, we signed William Jackson. That just brought me back. In Ron, I trust. Like, that, that's going to be the – that yep. has to be the model for the free agency and the draft. But we probably will be back at some point this week um, when we do sign that wide receiver and we finish up free agency, probably grind up maybe Friday or Saturday before we have our usual pod again on – on, on Wednesday. This should be, the next couple of days should be very interesting. I, I expect a wide receiver. I expect probably a linebacker and potentially a safety. We'll see if we get those things. Micah, it's been a, it's been a busy couple of days because Washington ends up signing everybody at 11 o'clock at night, and we're trying to figure out the details <laughs> of the contract, how much they count against the cap and all that situation. Uh, Washington still has $37 million, so the contract structure with both Fitzpatrick and Jackson have been um, – have been super good. Also, we signed uh, Lamar Miller and David Sharp, both backups from last year, just brought them back. So wanted to quickly uh, mention those one-year one deals. We'll be back, if not Friday or Saturday, definitely next week, Wednesday, to round up all our free agency stuff. But for Mike and for Michael, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.